Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, everybody. This is your host, Geert, and today we're, we'll be talking to Dr. Gianmaria Campadelli. He's a postdoctoral research fellow in computational sociology and criminology at the University of Trento in, uh, in Italy. And uh, for an already, already impressive list of uh, crime-related publications using innovative computational methods, check out his website. Um, he is here today to discuss with us his new book, Machine Learning for Criminology and Crime Research at the Crossroads, and it's published in June 2022 through Routledge. Um, John, welcome. Hi, Gert. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here today. Uh, thank you again, and, and good morning to everyone, you know, uh, hi to everyone who's listening. So, um, just to start off, could you tell us a bit about yourself, uh, professionally speaking, and uh, where, where you come from? Sure. So um, I'm, a, as you said already, I'm a postdoctoral research fellow uh, in the Department of Sociology and Social Research here in, in Trento. Uh, before that, I was a PhD student, a doctoral student in, in the Catholic University in Milan. Uh, I worked there for three years as well in, in, in Transcrime, which is a research center on, on transnational crime. It's a joint one between Catholic University, University of Bologna and University of Perugia here in Italy. Uh, and then I had um, um, an experience as a visiting research uh, scholar uh, at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh uh, in 2018 within the School of Computer Science under the, the working in the group of Kathleen Carley, who was actually the, the advisor of my thesis. Um, so that's that's basically my my path. Um, uh, actually, the, the the curriculum it's pretty hybrid. So I come from a, a social science tradition, but I moved uh, during my doctorate towards more computationally oriented uh, methods and perspectives to study of, of crime in general, and particularly terrorism and organized crime and violent crime. Um, so yes, that's 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 it. I don't want to be. Uh, boring, but that's the kind of uh, path that I want to uh, that that I'd like to summarize. That's that's it basically. I'm now working as a postdoctoral research fellow, uh, like continuing the research that I that I started during my doctoral um, um, program, um, basically on uh, the com- combination of um, complex networks and, and artificial intelligence for the study of, of terrorism, organized crime, and violent crime, homicide mostly. And, and how did you come to, to write this book? Well, that was a book that I uh, had on the back of my mind for uh, quite a long time relative to the stage where I'm at in, in my career. So not so long in, in absolute terms, but um, I, I started raising about the need for uh, setting up some sort of reflection about um, the, the role that machine learning, artificial intelligence more in general might have in, in criminology and crime research. And I thought that my that, that the time has come for 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 writing it. Um, the idea was really to to try to take score of where we are, uh, also acknowledging the origins and the legacies that we that we that actually got us where we are today, and trying also to reason about what 
possible um, perspectives in the future we might encounter, what challenges, what promises. And, and so that's that was par- partially, I would say, that's, that's the outcome of uh, three or four years of, of reasoning and reflecting and discussing with colleagues about the role that, that, that this kind of new revolution in methodological terms, which is not just methodological, but had also in theoretical implication might have on, on this field. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's basically the, the story behind the book and, and how, uh, I got to, to write it. Yeah. I think it's great that you, well, you give us the technical details on this, this, uh, specific part of computational social science, but you also really paint a, a large, um, historical background, um, in your, uh, um, let me see. So, um, when, when we get to the content, um, I guess, well, crime has been studied from a quantitative angle for, for like, well, quite some decades now. Um, and most would say that we're taking like a significant step by introducing AI and machine learning into the study of crime. Um, but you, well, you you give some nuance to that argument, um, uh, saying that the use of these methods in criminology is not so very new. Um, how, how so? Well, yeah, I mean, exactly. I think that um, most of the narrative around this, which I call the uh, novelty narrative, that's why how I label it. Um, I think it's motivated. So around the the, the the actual relationship between machine learning, computational methods, and, and crime in general. Um, it's uh, related to the to the to the big hype that that these methods have in a lot of different fields, including uh, criminology and crime research, and um, many people actually you know, try to advertise or uh, label this relationship as new. Uh, what I try to um, uh, highlight and show in my book it, is that actually we have a long-standing tradition. And a tradition that actually has its roots back in the 80s, um, especially in the United States. So the people that already started to reason about the potential uh, promises um, of, of these methods, of these sets of methods for starting crime, but also preventing crime, countering crime. So not only the, the, the pure research pilot, but also the applied one. Uh, were developed, were started to be discussed back in the 80s. And in the book, I, I, I kind of um, discuss this by, by, by focusing on two different perspectives. So the first one is uh, these uh, fruits that we had, especially in, in the applied sphere of the study of crime and the countering of crime, which again dates back to the 80s, but also uh, a broader tradition of... Um, that, that actually looks at the intersections between sociology and, and, and artificial intelligence and how uh, the fathers of this kind of dialogue um, already were reasoning about, for, for example, the potential for theoretical explanation of AI uh, within a sociological framework, but also how can we explain, how we can we set a sociology of machines? And um, and I think that, you know, this, this, this missing part in most of the contemporary literature that really does not acknowledge um, the, the, the great questions and the great reflections that these scholars made uh, more, than, more than 30 years ago, or even, or even 40 years ago. And I think that 
that's an essential part if we want to understand where we are today and, and, and if we want to understand where we're going. Um, so yeah, the, the book starts with this kind of uh, unorthodox um, introduction by expressing some sort of gratitude and, and calling people to, to recognize and to reconcile with the past that we, that we had, because, you know, by, by reconciling and by recognizing it, um, we are more uh, aware uh, we can be more aware of, of, again, where we are today, what are our roots, and, and where we should go tomorrow. So um, you say already in the 80s there were quite some practical applications of uh, these uh, attempts at, at crime prediction as, as such, and uh, uh, one of the case studies is like the, the prediction of burglary in Baltimore, uh, but you cite some, some different ones. Are these uh, these applications from the '80s or these studies from the '80s are they like qualitatively different from what we are trying to do today in AI? Well, I think that so uh, as you mentioned, most of the applications were real applications, uh, meaning that they were deployed by um, um, law enforcement mostly, and they were the effect of a renovated optimism that were spread um, within a lot of communities back in the 80s uh, related to the promises of artificial intelligence, even though the 80s were somehow, um, um, let's say, an heterogeneous uh, time frame for AI where, you know, uh, we witnessed, I wasn't, I wasn't born there, but let's say we witnessed a lot of failures um, as well as a lot of optimism and that kind of optimism um spread out also to, to, to crime research and to crime, crime control, crime prevention. I think that uh, the applications are tremendously different in, in quantitative terms. So basically what kind of algorithms, the sophistication of the algorithms, but also the scale of the data that, that people use, uh, that people um, deploy and that people like try to exploit for, for predicting crime. Uh, but I also think that the kind of... Uh, the aim, the objective, the goal of these applications are not really d different from now. I mean, the, they were all targeting the same kind of target, which was, you know, let's try to build like safer societies. And I think that some other kinds of, uh, for example, um, uh, issues that were, that were discussed at the time. So, um, there were people coming out from the uh, computerized legal studies, for example, that were putting a lot of emphasis on the ability of the systems to create a fair um, criminal justice system, for example, in the U.S., but in general, creating fairer society, not only safer society. And I think that this was some kind of um, point that was, that was um, really emphasized by many um, champions of, of computational models and, and AI-based methods in, in, in crime research and, and, and crime prevention also in the last years, uh, except for the fact that actually in many cases this was not, was not the case. I mean, it was proved that, that it was demonstrated that uh, these methods alone cannot really create a fairer society and actually can, can reinforce a lot of damages and a lot of disparities. But, you know, the, the, this kind of feeling that these methods, not only they work, but also they can do good to people, they can uh, deliver social good was already something that uh, were in, was in the discussion uh, 30 years ago. And, and I think, you know, this parallelism are, are incredibly uh, useful to, to really understand 
that that basically people were seeing AI in the same way as most people see AI in crime research today. So you um, you go into the different um, um, sub sub techniques, so to say, uh, th that are contained in AI. Um, and I guess the most important one that you that you go into is machine learning. Um, maybe to set the stage, what, what's what's the difference? What is machine learning uh, if you define it? Well, yeah. So the first thing that I want to make uh, clear is that this book was not uh, thought as a textbook, so it's not too technical. I think the the idea, my goal was to uh, write a book that was. Uh, accessible to everyone, uh, to everybody, uh, to all the people that have some interest, even you know um, a broader interest in, 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 the, in the application of this method. So, I have not devoted a lot of time in, in 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 getting into the actual technical details. I think that the technical level is pretty, pretty accessible to everyone, even to people that do not have a background in statistics or uh, or computer science. So, machine learning is. Basically, a, a, a part I would say of AI. It's the kind of sets of methods that gain most attention in in the social sciences, uh, and it's basic. We can define it as basically as the the intent to um, create programs or machines that are able to carry out some particular task without being programmed to do it. So without being explicitly programmed, and um, there are different, let's say, categorizations and uh, dichotomies within machine learning. The most important one is the one between supervised and unsupervised learning. So supervised learning is basically uh, um, all those sets of uh, tasks and techniques that's, that try, for example, to classify or predict some uh, some observation, having uh, a target value available, uh, connected uh, with, with a set of features. So learning the patterns that, are, that we have in the features to try to predict or to try to forecast or to try to classify uh, some particular target variable. Um, and we have within that classification and regression. And then we have unsupervised learning, which basically relates to a, to a set of, let's say, tasks that uh, are all um, characterized by the fact that we only have features. So we only have measurements about some observation without having a target variable. So we don't have anything to predict. And the idea is that we use those features to try to make order uh, into the complexity of our observations. So for example, finding clusters of, of similar uh, objects or items, uh, you know, um, deriving density distributions, uh, creating, um, let's say, setting setting up dimensionality reduction techniques. So there are two separate words. Most of the times, they they can be integrated. Uh, and again, it's it's just a, a part of AI. I think most of the times, uh, machine learning is rebranded directly as AI, just to again um, kind of. Uh, reinforce this hype that, that's around uh, that's around artificial intelligence related topics and, and, and debates um, and and again it's this is the kind of let's say the, the the side of AI that that mostly had the its success along a lot of different different fields including including criminology so all those algorithms that we we see generally like random forest decision trees 
uh, random boosting machines, but also a PCA or um, K-means, DBSCAN. These are all methods that uh, pertain to the tradition of, of machine learning with, with, within their separate um, subfields like supervised and supervised learning. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's the kind of explanation that I, would, that I would give to people um, to, to remain as broad as possible. Yeah, thanks for the background. So um, these are the the, the methods, um, and you explain in detail the the different, um, let's say, applications within within criminology that that are currently uh, um, very promising. Um, I think one of them uh, relates to uh, geospatial modeling, then another one is crime and networks, and the third one is crime simulation. Um, could you could you maybe ex- explain a bit what these applications are, maybe with uh, one or two examples? Sure. So um, that chapter is built to um, uh, take score of where we are today and and, and the relationship between uh, AI in general and, and and crime research. And I argue in the book that um, this is kind of a fourth. Uh, wave of uh, let's say big changes in the methodological landscape within criminology and the three um, topics that you touch upon are the actual the the, the, the previous one so we had uh, a strong turn to quantitative research in criminology and crime research in the uh, in the in the twentieth century uh, and probably there was an acceleration in the last 20 years and again crime and networks uh, crime and geospatial modeling and and crime and agent-based simulations are let's say the three main um, um, champions of this acceleration so um, I try to discuss where we are today within those free uh, substream of research showing that in the last 20 years there have been massive efforts to try to um, uh, let's say study crime, prevent crime, create application through for this method. So crime and networks actually pertain to the application of all those methods coming from social network analysis and network science and network theory, complex networks to the study of crime. So mostly considering the relational nature of crime by looking at connections between individuals, for example, uh, connection between affiliates within within terrorist groups. Um, and, and, but also moving towards more like complex tried types of modeling, like for example, modeling, uh, different types of relationships without just looking at one type of, uh, connection between this, 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 uh, people, uh, or also considering, uh, connections between different layers of, of, of objects, like connections between, uh, individuals, but also connections between tasks or connections between, um, skills within, within criminal networks, for example. Uh, the second one is crime and geospatial modeling, which uh, has been really uh, on the on the uh, spotlight. I say in the last years, uh, it builds on the so-called law of, of crime concentration that was um, let's say um, delineated by Weisberg by by looking by by considering the massive amount of research that, that was that was done in the last thirty years, looking at how crime concentrates uh, in space and time. And the fact that, you know, this is just one of the very few kind of laws that we have in criminology that, that holds in, in different contexts. So the fact that actually crime, most of the crimes actually cluster in times in times and space was, uh, let's say, the the beginning, uh, the beginning of, of, a, of a very, a very rich stream of, of research that tried to apply 
increasingly sophisticated models to try to predict crime by looking at uh, by considering and by building and exploiting the, the this concentration in time and space and then we have a crime and simulation that probably is the let's say most recent stream of uh, methodological innovation which considers the uh, simulation of crime dynamics uh, by leveraging the flexibility for example of agent-based modeling and it, it has been argued that this kind of uh, simulation methods uh, can overcome the limitation that most of the time we have in criminology in terms of uh, experiments. Most of the times we cannot uh, run experiments because they're costly, because there are ethical problems and, and agent-based modeling and computer simulations actually seem to be a solution to that. I argue that we should be careful about this kind of um, this kind of you know position in, 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 in the book, but certainly uh, simulation methods uh are, are, are a powerful instrument that allow researchers to try to explore a lot of different scenarios within, you know, um, very limited costs and, and within very limited timeframes, uh, which, which, you know, it, it, it's an important, it's an important thing for, for a lot of reasons, especially for applied research. And, and again, I argue that, that maybe the combination, the, the, the link between criminology and artificial intelligence can be this new fourth stream of innovation and, and, and in this field. And, and I think that this dialogue can be, let's say, unfolded through different ways, through different perspectives, and even integrating those um, methodological innovations that were already uh, in place, like, you know, crime and networks. I mean, you can combine network theory and artificial intelligence through graph learning, for example, to, to, to better understand how crime works. So, you know, I think uh, artificial intelligence can be a game changer. I'm not, you know, uh, super optimistic. I'm not one of those people that believe that AI alone will revolutionize our field, will, will create a better world. I think there are a lot of challenges, but still, I, I do think that when carried out properly and when when, when deployed properly, um, we have a lot of potential for, for the future in, in our field uh, by, by leveraging the potential of machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. Oh, and and of course, I would agree that uh, experiments are a very, a very tricky thing in uh, criminology. Um, and the hopes are high in this sense uh, when it comes to simulation. But um, why are you uh, hesitant to put your hopes on, on that? What are the risks? Well, so the thing is that any simulation, no matter how uh, powerful your machine is, no matter how detailed your software is, it's going to be just a simulation. I mean, we know that the world, social world, is extremely complex, is extremely uh, non-linear, it's extremely non-stationary, it's ex- extremely skewed in many <laughs> distribution that that can describe human behavior. And so the thing that, you know, just simulating something will be a good and, and a, an exact replacement of the complexity of reality, it's, it's, it's simplistic and it's dangerous. So I do believe that agent-based simulations, simulations in general, can be uh, good tools to to try to let's say um, streamline some questions to um, um, investigate some hypotheses, but they cannot be deemed as a perfect replacement for experiments. Um, especially because you know if we want to simulate a society or a part of a society, a community in general, we need an incredibly detailed and rich amount of data 
which are generally not available for a lot of different reasons because you know we are not capable of, of, of tracking those data, of recording those data, because many times you could simply cannot, uh, thank God, record those data. So it's always going to be some sort of, um, let's say, an approximation, depending on the level of sophistication, depending on the level of richness of the data, the sophistication can be a better sophistication or worse sophistication or simplification, uh, an approximation, sorry, but, but, but still an approximation. So I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an advocate for replacing um, experiments uh, completely. But still, I do believe that, that we can kind of integrate um, real-world experiments with, with computer simulations to try to, um, to, try to you know, get closer to, to, all the, to, to, the, to the answers to the questions that we, that we pose ourselves. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Do you maybe have a, a, an example where it, where it did work, uh, such, a, such a simulation where you think it, it was a good application? Well, so we are still in the early stages of this kind of uh, modeling approaches. Um, so the use of Asian-based simulation, and there were some articles uh, a couple of years ago that were actually taking stock of the of the state of the art, and the idea. I mean, the the, the picture that was coming out of that was not particularly positive. I mean, there were a lot of problems in many of these papers that were using this this methods because for example of lack of transparency um you know an insufficient detail in, in in describing the data and describing the mechanism that were coded to uh, simulate the society itself so i think there's you know we're, we're we're very early in 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 the in this practice uh i think i mean i actually worked on a project that was um that was focusing on the integration between computational sciences and criminology uh, by creating this agent-based modeling for understanding recruitment uh, into organized crime and terrorism. It was a European project. I worked with that uh, when I was at Catholic University. Uh, we worked with David Weisberg uh, at, at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. Uh, he and his team were um, working on the terrorism side. We were working on the organized crime side. Uh, the, there was not a deployment of the experiment of the of the of the artificial experiments in the real world, but I think that was already a, a good um, a good starting point because, uh, which is very unusual in Italy, in Italy we sat down with uh, prosecutors, uh, people from uh, law enforcement, community leaders, and we set up this dialogue talking with institutions about you know how to set up this simulation. So we were, you know, in charge with the Italian National Research Council of coding the thing up, but we, but we wanted to discuss the, you know, the, the hypothesis and the assumptions of this coding um, with, with people that were actually working in the field. And I think that was a virtuous uh, experience because um, one of the things that I try to argue in, in, in the book is that, you know, these computational models, no matter how sophisticated they are, they are, no matter how advanced they are, but they require expert knowledge. And even though, you know, uh, though those we actually were simulating societies where we were interested in testing different policies to, to, to uh, counter recruitment, even though those, uh, those results in that simulation were not used in the real world, I think that they were 
still useful because when we were when we delivered that to people that, that helped us and that were actually working in the field, they were they were impressed by, you know, the potential that these methods have. So I think it's always a matter of you know checks and balances. I mean, it's always a matter a matter of dialogue between different fields within different communities. And even though you know that simulation uh, were not deployed again in the real world, were not used to 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 set up new policies. Uh, which was I, w- I would have been surprised of the country, especially in Italy. But even though that didn't happen, uh, still it was a first step towards a, a better a better integration between between communities, uh, the scientific one, institutional one, the policy making one, and that's the I think the the half full glass of, of that story. Thanks. So I guess um, well, many of us by now will be quite aware by uh, of, uh, of um, certain risks that of using AI on, on, on social situations um, for instance the propagation of uh, existing biases like like uh, racism or, or other other kinds of biases um, could you uh, could you um, uh, explain us a bit more about those specific risks of, of AI when uh, when applied to crime research? Yeah, sure. I mean, this has been a field, I mean, an area of research in which there have been like uh, a lot of attention, luckily, in the last years. I mean, um, and and I, I dare to say that probably most of the research that came out on these topics uh, came out from not from criminology and crime research, uh, but from computer science, mathematics and statistics. Uh, which is bad, I think. I mean, it's uh, it's bad that these problems, these issues, were addressed by by people outside our community. I mean, it's fine that 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 many people join the table, join the discussion, but I think that we as criminologists had a responsibility to to be the first to to raise our hands and 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 make clear that something were, was wrong. So there are a lot of risks, really. I mean, it depends on the kind of application. Um, there have been a lot of discussion, for example, about predictive policing. Uh, predictive policing um, refers to a set of techniques uh, that basically uh, leverage the idea that crime concentrates in time and space. And by by knowing that and using data on historical crimes or historical data on arrests, for example, um, the software are created so that uh, Law enforcement can dispatch their, their resources on, on a territory non randomly, but looking at the, the patterns and the trends, historical patterns and trends that uh, the past crime um, generated. Um, and this kind of thing uh, really now are everywhere, basically. Uh, the country definitely where, where the software are, are mostly deployed is the United States, but again, this is a global global thing and it's particularly worrisome because it's spread um, also to countries that are non-democratic so countries in which for example the you know civil rights and liberties and and the surveillance state is particularly uh, prevalent so that's a problem but still even in, in, in democratic countries for example, geospatial um, predictive policing as a problem that it's generally Trade, these algorithms are generally trained on data that are biased because, first of all, if we talk about, like, for example, uh, reported crimes, we know that people report crimes differently based on, you know, a lot of different features like, you know, background, socioeconomic background, uh, race, or the or, or the part of the city in which you live, for example. So, first of all, that's already a, 
problematic measure of crime. Uh, and then in cases, for example, in which uh, this, these algorithms are, 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 um, are, are, are feed with, with uh, RS data in countries in which RS data are RS are made out of biased and, and questionable policing practices in which you have like problems with race, for example, that's going to be another kind of problem. Again, I mean, you have data on arrests that are particularly biased against some groups, some, for example, like African-Americans or Latinos in, in the U.S. And that's going to create this cold, so-called feedback loops. So basically, you're feeding the machines with data that are already biased and you know, it's the usual garbage in, garbage out. If you fit a machine with data that are biased, the results of the algorithms, the prediction of forecast are going to be biased uh, as well. So you are basically reinforcing this kind of um, disparate uh, attention towards certain communities. And that's problematic, especially in countries in which uh, you have, you know, cities are segregated by race. So you still have a quite a lot of, you know, black communities living in those neighborhoods and then white communities living in those neighborhoods and you don't have some sort of heterogeneity, which is probably more the case of Europe. You know, we still have, we are, we are cases where in which, you know, segregation is a problem in Europe, but probably uh, less so than, than the United States. So that's one problem related to predictive policing, but also like criminal justice risk assessment models that are used to assist judges and prosecutors in making decisions, for example, about bail, um, and again, they, they, they are everywhere. They're not just in the U.S. Um, the European Commission tried to regulate it, luckily in, in, in Europe. But, and those are, those are models that are, again, trained on data that are biased in the first place. Because, you know, our, if, if, again, RS data and criminal justice data reflect the biases that police, for example, has on some particular categories, then... Uh, the 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 outcome of these models, the recommendations of the of these models on giving, on you know getting a person bailed or not, are going to reflect those those problems. So I think that's you know that's the the the, the two main problematic areas are are these ones. So maybe maybe to uh, to conclude with a, a slight view into um, your last chapter. You well, of course. There's a lot of talk about causal inference. Uh, high, high hopes on 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 this uh, to go beyond uh, correlations, say between phenomena. Um, but causality is a notoriously difficult subject when studying a policy-infused topic uh, like like crime. Um, yet again, it's it's I guess causal inference is making headway in uh, uh, in social science as well. Um, so you you um, um, you separate experimental and observational studies. Um, could you tell us a bit about the causality related difficulties uh, that that we find there? Yeah, sure. So uh, what I argue in the last chapter is that actually and luckily, and this is one of the areas um, which I'm more more most excited about actually. Uh, is the convergence, the, con- the, the, the prog- progressive convergence between machine learning and causality research in the last years. So, you know, there was this kind of a clash of different traditions that were perfectly kind of, we can perfectly trace back to Leo Bryman's or Samuel paper in 2001, where we're actually accusing the, like the, the, the traditional statistic culture of being too, uh, con- to, to focus to focus on, on on irrelevant theory and stuff like that without you know uh, 
considering uh, enough lead uh, the problems of predictions uh, that, that were more related to the computer science um, algorithmic culture. Uh, that, that, that picture changed, the scenario changed. So luckily now we are in a position in which, in a position in which are, we have economists working with computer scientists and we have, you know, fancy uh, artificial intelligence machine learning, deep learning methods that are also able to disentangle causality. And, you know, causality is is particularly problematic in, in, in criminology because, first of all, you have less power to uh, deploy experiments compared to other social sciences, for example. So in economy, uh, economics, you have, you have much more uh, possibility to to uh, to deploy these experiments. So experiments are you know considered the gold standard of of, of causality. Even though I, I concur with uh, Robert Sampson, and I say that in the book that you know too many times this gold standard is is um, you know without questioning is problematic as well. Uh, so we have to rely a lot on a lot more on observational studies and on observational data. Uh, so data where you don't have uh, the randomization mechanism, basically, uh, except for some some particular cases. And um, I think, I mean, the the, the difficulties the the, the difficulties are, are generally related to the identification strategies of the problem that we have in, in criminology, uh, to the fact that many times we have unobserved confounders that we cannot measure, and 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 that kind of, you know, um, jeopardize uh, all our um, all our studies. Um, I think that in any case, one of the major problems is that probably uh, criminology uh, lagged behind compared to other, to other um, disciplines in the social sciences like political science and economics, lagged behind a bit in the training of, of scholars and students in, in the study of proper causal inference methods. So that's why we, we have this like plenty of studies that just look at correlational evidence. And and we you know without without really uh, grasping into the into the causal link between between things that are, that we measure. So you know it's we there's a patchwork I would say of problems. Probably one it you know for starters the fact that we we lag behind the training. I think things are changing. Like a lot of doctoral programs now in criminology in Europe and in the US are are, are focusing. A lot of on, on uh, quasi-experimental methods, experimental methods. So things are changing, uh, and also we have again the difficulties that compared to other to other to other uh, disciplines, we cannot deploy experiments and uh, observational data that we have most of the times are incomplete, um, and uh, and then yeah, so that 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 is that creates a set of challenges that that are difficult to. To overcome, but yeah, I mean, th- things are changing. I think I'm, I'm, I'm moderately op- optimistic about the fact that by, by you know, and with the new tools that we have, and with the increasingly amount of digital data that we that we can leverage, uh, criminology. Hopefully, if we are all committed to it, will will change for 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 the best, and will will get us closer to the to the answers that 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 you know keep us awake at night. And, and I think. The, the thing is that we have to recognize that we have a lot of responsibilities and we have a lot of challenges along with these promises. And if we don't uh, act accordingly, this is going to be an incredibly uh, missed chance for, for improving, and improving the quality of our research and the quality of our policies for creating a safer societies.
Yeah, fingers crossed for that um, to, uh, you know, to improve the, the situation in our cities. All right. So um, thanks a lot. We've been through quite some content. Um, maybe... Uh, if you if you could, could could you give us a teaser on uh, on what you're working on currently, or uh, is there a, a future book in the pipeline uh, someday? Um, no, I, yeah, someday, but not now. I mean, I'm, I just finished teaching for this semester, so I, I will be concentrating all summer on on some papers that I have open. Uh, I'm working on with with some colleagues at uh, Bocco University Milan. Uh, and, and, and University of Milan as well uh, on some experiments on the relationship between social trust and organized crime perceptions in Italy. So that is one. And then I'm also working on uh, on a paper that tries to look like at racial disparities in homicide clearance in the United States. So to check whether is it true that, that we had like, a, you know, an actual um differential effect of race in in, in the odds of uh, of having an homicide cleared so these are the two the two main things that that are that are gonna keep me busy this summer i have some other papers but but these are the two main ones that uh, that i think will 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 eat up all my time this during the the, the following months super relevant topics um Thanks, uh, thanks once again, uh, John, for the, for our talk today. And, uh, well, who knows, we'll talk to each other in the future. Sure, I'd like to. And, again, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for for uh, for, for inviting me here. It was, it was a real pleasure, and I hope it was a pleasure as well for all the audience and all the people that, that listened to this episode. Likewise. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a good one.